welcome to Mariner Monday, a segment of the Boyd Meets World podcast dedicated to talking about your Seattle Mariners. Today's episode, Phil Smeraldo and I talked about why the M's should go get Craig Kimbrell, what the world would look like if the M's had won the World Series in 2001, and how many ping pong balls you could fit in 747. Seriously. Uh, be sure to rate and review the podcast, and we really appreciate you listening to us do our thing. Listen to us next week when we'll have actual baseball games to talk about. Enjoy. All right, uh, part two uh, here with Phil. Uh, we got a good chunk of our way into our conversation, and then I realized uh, I hadn't hit the uh, the nice red button to record. Uh, and I just want to say I was absolutely on fire. So you, if you yeah. hear me stumble at all, just remember that the first take I was just it was it was podcasting legend legendary stuff. So I was so I, I was, kind of blame you if this one goes <laughs> goes under. Well, I was hazing you because you were you were strutting like a peacock that you were you know you were going no notes today because you're on your you know your nice deck in Seattle. I got a little jealous, um, and then I just took you out at the knees and uh, made you do two minutes of unrecorded air. Yeah, well, today is going to be a uh, no no computer day, no stats. I'm not pulling anything up. I'm out on my patio, so uh, no baseball reference search queries going on in the background. So so it's going to be more of a nice, fun, fun, easy easy chat today. This is more of like your uh, your average like middle school lunch table discussion um, about about the Mariners than it is your highbrow library discussion we like to have yeah and i think we need some of that so i'm excited for a chat like today yeah gotta get juvenile sometimes um so let's while we're getting juvenile let's talk about someone who is anything but a juvenile uh jay bruce the uh, is he the oldest mariner we're not we're not checking numbers no you know what's funny about jay bruce Mm. how old do you think that guy is 74 He's 31. He's not. He is technically still in his prime right now. So it's, I know he looks just like a total dad and somebody who's like taking his kids to like dance recitals and stuff like that. But he he actually is is a, a guy who would you know based on the average aging curve would still be considered at the back end of his prime right now. So there's been a couple articles this week across baseball because it it was kind of I think it was just like a media blitz about this topic, but about how old in baseball like <laughs> kind of old became really old very quickly and mm-hmm. all the old guys the cold hamels the cold hamels of the world the ian kinsler's we'll talk about this later um are all kind of feeling a little put out because all of a sudden they don't feel old at all uh but people in baseball consider them as old whether that's justified or not um but yeah jay bruce is an example of that Regardless of his age, he's hitting 433 in spring training at a two-run bomb in the first expi- exhibition game against the Yamiuri Giants. Uh, this is exciting in the sense that uh, some production is necessary for the M's lineup, but um, he's not a part of the future going forward in the grand scheme of things. But what do you make of this? Uh, is this something we can we can really you know say this is uh, this is a nice thing, or is it just going to be hot air for spring training purposes? Yeah, so the thing here's the thing about Jay Bruce. Um, he is on the back end of the prime, and he had a bad year last year. And I feel like a broken record because I've I've said something to this extent in every podcast we've had. But he's one of those guys looking for a resurgence, and that's 
the type of guy Depoto has been bringing in this year, hoping to squeeze a little bit of production out of a guy, find refined their 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 solid years, and then flip him at the deadline. 2017 was actually Jay Bruce's best year in the big leagues, and I know he feels like he's been around forever, and it's possibly because he has been. He he was one of those guys who got up to the majors by the time he was 21 years old, so this will already be his 12th year 12th year in the bigs. So it might feel like he's been around forever. But really, he's he's 31 and 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 having a really good 2019, similar to his 2017 year where he was an All Star and, and had major production, is something that really isn't out of the question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and kind of what we were talking about last week with Seager, uh, both of those gentlemen are, are 31. Is that yes, they are kind of the the square peg in the round hole of this is a young 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 wave with the M's, but. Um, it's it's twofold, right? You need kind of that veteran presence. You need some sort of, of um, you know, it becomes the diversity in the locker room having an older voice. But then also you have that ability for these guys who are playing not for this, you know, Jay Bruce and Kyle Seager don't really care too much about the the uh, the 2020 uh, midseason push that Jerry Depoto has often alluded to. For them, it's mostly about um, how can I how can I really salvage my career. Um, right. And, and I think for both those guys, the best case scenario is to play so well that they don't have to be on the Mariners. And I know that sounds bad, but yeah. for them, they're looking at, oh, my God, if 2021 is the is the window that these guys are looking for, then I'm really going to be out of my prime. And I'm probably going to be riding the bench or being getting or get cut. I need to get onto a team that has a window now. So for them, playing really well might mean getting shipped out, but that might not be a, a bad scenario for them either. Yeah, and that's so funny that we're talking about this, and it's kind of it just was incongruous to what uh, what Felix Hernandez's comments last week told us of that should be his focus as well. I mean, it, it is kind of unfair to say, all right, uh, you don't fit in anymore. You should just try and work your way to get out of here uh, when you were here first, that type of thing. But with a guy like Jay Bruce, it's a little bit different in that he's basically a mercenary uh, for this mm-hmm. for this for this Mariners team. Um, they don't necessarily want to win unless something miraculous happens and they find themselves in a much better position than they expected earlier. Um, but he really could turn this into something. Uh, and so it, it's, it is a symbiotic relationship with him and the M's where they need his production just to be a little bit of a stabilizing presence in the lineup. And right. Uh, and, oh, and, yeah, go ahead. He, and he should pursue the pr- production to, uh, to get traded and then get a second contract. And with Jay Bruce, it's a lot easier. He has no history with the Mariners. There's no fan tie to him. So sure. if he were to get shipped out, it wouldn't be such a, a, a you know a blight on the organization. Whereas oh, same old Mariners, you know, take, taking guys who are in their prime and moving them away, and you know these franchise icons, and you know kind of the same rhetoric you've been hearing for the last 15 years about the Mariners. So really, for him, it's it it's going to be a beneficial thing for both of them if he can produce because the ownership, if he's producing and let's say he puts up really solid numbers around the, uh, until the deadline, uh, he could be moved either a for contract relief, which I'm sure ownership would probably be pushing for. But if the Mariners decided to eat the rest of his contract, they could actually get a really intriguing prospect back. And that's not something to sneeze at for a guy who is basically a, uh, here, take this bad contract because we're taking your bad contract type mm-hmm. of acquisition. Yeah, it, it, I don't think they would be willing to to jump on all of it, given that it's it's still this year plus another year of thirteen million dollars. Um, mm-hmm. But you never know, and so so them taking this deal was part of the reason they were able to offload Cano um, and and get Kalanick back. 
Uh, so yeah, it's it's important to them to kind of manage this correctly, but there is some, some potential here for this to not just be dead weight that they had to acquire uh, in order to get Cano. Uh, t- speaking of guys that, to acquire them in their prime, um, or guys in their prime at least, uh, you texted me about this this um, this direction the M should go that uh, I will be honest, I have severe questions about. Uh, you said that the Mariners should go out and get the uh, the free agent closer uh, Craig Kimbrell, who was a part of the Red Sox World Series team last year, uh, but remains unsigned. I, I I don't really have a lot of words for you on this one. I just kind of want to let you uh, let you cook. Okay, so let me start off by asking you a question: If the Mariners were to sign Craig Kimbrell for one year, what do you estimate that they would have to to pay him for one year? I'm guessing my mm. guess would be around twenty twenty two million dollars. Right? Think, Does that sound fair? Uh, yeah. I mean, it depends if if this if this thing gets into May um, or or later, then that number would obviously go down because you're paying for less of a mm-hmm. season. Yeah. Uh, but either way, proportionally, it would work out to about that same number. Yeah. Okay, so for the Mariners, they have that money to spend. They're well under the luxury tax, right? Yeah. So my theory is this: Why not go get Craig Kimbrell? Let him play half a season for the Mariners eat 10 million because if he plays 10 million and you sign him for or if he if you sign him for 20 million and he plays half the season with you you owe him 10 million dollars that's your obligation to him and then at the deadline when you're well out of it in teams that are making playoff pushes what's the one thing they always need to fortify their roster the guys that they never have enough of lockdown relievers and what are they willing to pay a premium for year after year after year at the deadline lockdown relievers and getting Craig Kimbrell for really the only time you need him is the second half of the season and the postseason and you're getting him for 10 million dollars the Mariners might be able to scrape a really really good basically the theory there is the Mariners are going to buy a prospect for 10 million Mm dollars and that's something that you know buying a prospect if you just had 10 million dollars to throw around that's probably one of the best asset allocations the Mariners could use is $10 million for, for a really good prospect, and the other team would feel happy about it too because they get Craig Kimball not wasting him in May and April and June and July, but they're getting him for the meat of the season when they need him. Yeah, this is um, this is interesting, and it made me think kind of of a move uh, in, in Mariners' past that is similar, although when the M's did it, I don't think it, it had this plan, um, but it was when the M's went out and acquired Cliff Lee. And it didn't really feel then that they had any cause to do that. I mean, they're they're a pseudo contender as the M's have been for most of our lives. So getting a guy like that makes you think that you're a a true contender. Um, but they were able to just use Lee and flip him for a different prospect return. Granted, all of those guys didn't really pan out. Justin Smoke, Blake Beaven, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, right, but the thought that thought is a good thought to have, isn't it not? Yeah, when there is low-hanging fruit like that, I don't think they ever expected to find themselves in the Cliff Lee trade market. They did, and then they were able to turn it into a, 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 a bevy of prospects that, um, that they liked. So I, I, I'll play devil's advocate here because you convinced me a little bit in seeing this as a an acquisition cost um, in order to to support the you know the overall plan because that was my initial resistance is why would you get Craig Kimbrell who probably helps you win games um, when you don't necessarily need to be pushing for that this season is <laughs> I guess the the easy question there is why do you why do you want Craig Kimbrell what if he costs you eight wins at the deadline? Um, and that's the difference between picking ninth and 17th this year. You're okay with that? 
I guess that is a good. I guess that's a a good uh, counterbalance that you'd have to measure. But the pro the the thing about the way the free agency market has been this year, and it's been so slow. You know, Machado and Harper didn't sign until uh, you know February, almost March. Uh, you see a lot of GMs and a lot of ownership that is so reticent to spend money. And they say, whoa, we're not going to sign Craig Kimbrell for $20 million, even if it is just one year. The Mariners could be a good intermediary there where they're going to say, okay, we'll eat $10 million, and you'll take him for the time that you need him. But as a, you're going to pay a premium for that, and the premium you're paying is not money to us. You're paying us in prospects. And for a team like the Mariners who is not a small market team, and has money to spend and is in a cycle or in a point in their cycle where they are rebuilding and actively looking for younger talent, paying 10 million or whatever the cost may be to acquire what, and I, I will almost guarantee you if there's a team that's on the verge and they are low on bullpen depth, they're going to, they're going to give you a blue chip prospect for Craig Kimbrell. I just don't see the the rationale as to why not to do it. Why, why haven't, why hasn't any other team with more money to spend, uh, done this already for the same reasons that the M's might, or I would just to say help there have been it. teams that have done this. You look at the San Diego Padres, what they did last year. And I think two years ago, they went out and got this, a couple of guys, the name that comes off the top of my head is a guy named Brad hand, who was really, really good for a couple seasons. And then they flipped him at deadline. The Padres have made a sort of a, of a habit of doing something like this, where they know that bullpen is kind of just like they look at it as raw materials let's go get good pieces into the bullpen and then just flip them at the deadline and as a result the Padres have maybe the best farm system and the best prospects yeah. you know for future success in the last 10 years yeah great great reasons to to do this for sure but specifically with Kimbrel there's 29 other teams that in theory could go out and get him uh, maybe even some sort of a discount because of how mm-hmm. late this thing is gone. Why has no one else jumped at the opportunity? Because they're not as smart as me. No, <laughs> I don't know. Probably because they're a lot smarter than me and they see, I don't know. Craig, Craig Kimbrell did struggle last year. Um, he was, he was, and he, he struggled during very key points, namely the playoffs. So maybe teams don't value Craig Kimbrell. Like I think they do. Um, it's, it's entirely possible that maybe I'm over overstating the, um, the allure that somebody like Craig Kimbrell has to the teams in major league baseball. Yeah. He was a whip nightmare in the playoffs last year, especially in the world mm-hmm. series. Um, and definitely was, uh, pitching on a fine line and, and, and really, uh, not, uh, not lights out and therefore kind of pitching on the margins and getting lucky a little bit. I think a lot of teams would, would see that and, and be a little, little, uh, hesitant. And, and, you know, so there's kind of those, those contending teams that, that like the Red Sox, I mean, they had him and they understand that, his production is is replicable at a cheaper price and um for the rest of those teams that this might make sense for like the Orioles uh or the Marlins or any of those teams where this is an option um someone is going to do it and it's going to tell you a lot about what what a guy like Craig Kimbrell's worth is in 2019 is he a uh is he a true contending piece or is he a uh a, you know a prospect uh waiting to happen uh, let's talk about this. What if here is our third down here or third up a uh, little football mix up there. Third down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, Hey, we're going to get into a little football story later. So that's, that was a little foreshadowing. Can't wait. Uh, by the way, I the, know a lot about football, so you guys are going <laughs> to really, really want to hear my expertise on this. By the way, the ringer NFL show today did a, a, um, a, uh, recapables of, um, of the 2013, NFC Championship game, the Richard Sherman Crabtree game. 
Oh uh, yeah. It was it was quite the experience going through that. Uh, it makes me think we should do that for an important Mariners game, except there hasn't been one ever. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so unfortunate. So we don't have to do that. Um, all right. So the what if here, and we love hypotheticals. The Mike Trout one went over really really well for the audience. Uh, what if the Mariners win the World Series in 2001? 116 wins, kind of this team of destiny. Uh, they get it done. They don't lose the Yankees in uh, in the ALCS. Uh, they would have played the Diamondbacks that year, correct? Yep. Then yeah. that's the year that uh, Luis Gonzalez <coughs> lost his mind. Cooper off of uh, Mariano Rivera. Yeah. So what if that happens? The Mariners end up fulfilling their destiny, winning that World Series. What are the ripple effects of that if that ends up happening? Yeah, that's that's the hypothetical that I've been tossing back and forth in my mind. I guess what it really distills down to for me is how much leeway does a team get once they've won a World Series? It's been, what, uh, 18 years since that 2001 series. That's a long time. But do you think that there would be these sort of animosities to and, and people calling the Mariners inept and, you know, oh, same old Mariners – had the team actually pulled through, I'm not so sure. I think I think that the team would be viewed in a really, really different light, and I think in a lot more of a favorable light. And it's not hard to see. You go to any, you know, you go to the baseball subreddit, or you go on anywhere on ESPN or MLB.com. The Mariners have always kind of had that. Oh, here's the little brother. Almost like I think there's. A, uh, I'm not again. I'm going to use a football reference, but I don't know football with any certainty. But like the Cleveland Browns, sort of the you know the lovable. <laughs> losers yes and i think that stigma really i think that was such a damaging season for so many people because it just fed into that whole oh same old mariners mentality so you can look at it in a vacuum which i think is is kind of actually okay because i don't i don't really know how much would have changed in terms of roster composition or things like that between the 2001 mariners and like the course of history as it gets gets down um but think you know kind of trying to pull that pin out and see how things would have been different. Um, first of all, Edgar Martinez is in the hall of fame much quicker than he would have been oh, yeah. than he was before mm-hmm. with a world series ring and the same, same resume. Um, but the next real thing that I can imagine this changing is the following season. They win 93 games. Lou Pinella is still the manager. And then in that off season, uh, it's kind of like out of it's, it seems impossible, but they traded Lupinella for Randy Wynn yep. mm-hmm. because Lupinella wanted to go home at Lupinella's request. Yes. Yes. He wanted, he wanted to go to Tampa in order to, to do that. Uh, I don't think that ends up happening if that's the case. I feel like he, he become kind of becomes our Bobby Cox and he, he and the front office don't really fracture at that point. Um, whether that would have actually led to more wins is, is a different question, but that is the domino that I would see being most affected by this is that the relationship with Lupinella stays as such where he kind of has a lifetime pass in Seattle. Right. He's a, he's another, well, he already is a franchise icon, but he would just be ascended to uh, legendary status, just like a Bobby Cox or even Ron Gartenheyer never won anything with the twins, but even a guy like that who had a ton of longevity with sure. the team. Sure. So yeah, Bob Melvin was the next manager after, after after Panella and that led to another I think two 91 seasons and then and then Melvin kind of had the turn 
uh, and then we're in the uh, the Mike Hargrove era, and then mm-hmm. and then here we are. And then we go to you know the Eric Wedge, and then the, uh, Lloyd McClendon, and then you know or maybe Don Wakamatsu was in there somewhere. Yeah. But yeah, it, then it just got it got bad after that. But I just have a hard time seeing how any sort of managerial shift would make too much of a difference mm-hmm. in uh, in 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 the total amount of wins and losses. Um, I guess more philosophically speaking, I think it would make the 10 years of ineptitude after probably around 2003 or 2004 a lot easier to swallow because we know we got that one and that's never going to get taken away <clears throat> it's it's one of those things you know it's such a cliche but as they say you know the baron banners fly forever and the mariners don't have any banners and we can't look up into the rafters and remind ourselves of better times because there are there have been no better <laughs> times there was a there was 116 wins that ultimately amounted to nothing and I guess, I don't know, World Series are ultimately nothing in the grand scheme of things either, if you want to talk about, like, life, but... Uh, <laughs> Let's not go down that road. <laughs> yeah, we, I won't go down that road. I'm just pondering, Yeah, uh, this... sitting out on my path. But, you know, it would have made, I think it would have made the last 10 to 15 years a lot more palatable, and the and the respect for the franchise would have... The, the franchise would have just had more cachet, mm-hmm. and it's a shame to see that, that something like that didn't fully materialize yeah and then i mean that 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 team also becomes less of this like weird oddity and almost like proof positive that that baseball is this really random science experiment um right becomes more of this like great lesson in chemistry and what what a galvanized clubhouse looks like and how that can come together and holes greater than the sum of its parts type thing um, so that would have been interesting from like a, the legacy of that team, because it really doesn't make any sense. And it's, you know, given the fact that they ended up losing the playoffs, um, especially so. But the uh, it kind of it would be have been similar to the 1979 Seattle Sonics, uh, who were kind of a very similar team. So that Seattle would own uh, two of those teams in, in major sports history, which are which would have been interesting. But, yeah, it, it is it is tough. And I don't I don't really know, you know, like. If, if we're sitting here thinking right now, uh, you know, the Mariners have terrible PR, well, terrible trust in their management, um, in their decision making and, and kind of this jadedness to them. I think what, what would be better to fix that? Like, would you rather insert the 2001 World Series or take out, uh, you know, the the Jesus Montero trade or like draft Troy Tulowitzki instead of uh, Jeff, right. Jeff Clement? Like, mm-hmm. I feel like a couple of those things are almost more um damaging yeah exactly because that's more like you said i think people can forgive the team for not winning the world series because baseball once you get to five games is a i it's a it's hard to hear but it is a really random sport you know over the course of five games you can't maybe over the course of a season trends hold up and, and things and things you know generally stay true to form but over a five game sample the the uh, Orioles could beat the Red Sox. It, it it it's really just one of those things. So, though that's not as hard. That's easier to just kind of let it go. But when they show the ineptitude of drafting Jeff Clement or you know busting Dustin Ackley, yeah. whether that was their fault or just poor drafting or just those those marquee indicators of ineptitude, <laughs> let's, that let's, I think is what makes it. Yeah. Let, let's go one step back before the Ackley uh, drafting, and that's. The, the simple thing would be don't sweep the A's. <laughs> don't sweep the A's and get Steven Strasburg, the generational talent. How about yeah, that? Right? Yeah. yeah. That, that was – uh, those, those are all inept. That's what you would 
I think that is, you're right, that's something that frustrates Mariners fans more than not having won the World Series. So, in a sense, maybe winning the World Series wouldn't have done too much if those same uh, markings and trappings that they fell into over the last 15 years that put them in the position they're in now had held true. Yeah, unless unless winning the 01 World Series would have made them somehow not hire Bill Bavese, I don't think that uh, it would have done too much to make me feel any different um, for about about this team. And that's very possible that that could have been. Um, but yeah, that was that was kind of the. The, the 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 most damaging part of it was the Bavesi era because it just it led to the Zarentic era which was kind of this catch up mentality rather than this building philosophy like we kind of mm-hmm. see now um, so yeah it's 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 been tough but but yeah that is an interesting and I I want to just mention one more point off the top of your head do you know who won the two thousand five World Series so oh four was the Red Sox two thousand five uh. <laughs> no. You know, and I wouldn't have either if I hadn't just looked it up, but it was the Chicago White Sox. The point being oh, they beat the that Astros. was only yeah. that was only thirteen years ago and nobody remembers. Yeah. It's not like it's not like these uh even if you win the World Series, it can't it can I think the the elation that you feel could be relatively short lived in the and the thing that makes baseball fans happier and more secure about their franchise is really how things are run on the day-to-day. Drafting Troy, Troy Tulowitzki instead of Jeff Clement, like you said, or not right. trading for Jesus Montero, you know, stuff like that. Right, 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 right. Um, yeah, so let's uh, we're going to bounce and talk about some, some bigger league or bigger uh, MLB-wide stuff, talk about some teams we really like. But first, Phil, I want to give you the airwaves here to uh, to promote uh, your restaurants um, because there are, there are three and they are all wonderful. Um, and, and uh, yeah, just take it away because you've, you've got some stories for us. Well, well, I'm looking at one right now. For the listeners that don't know, I live uh, quite literally across the street from uh, one of our restaurants in downtown Seattle in Pioneer Square. Um, Called what? So uh, I'm going to feel very inspired as I look longingly out, out onto, the, onto the view out there. But uh, basically, for those of you who don't know me, um, me and my brother run um, – three fine dining Italian restaurants started by our father in 1985. Um, the flagship one being Il Terrazzo Carmine down in Pioneer Square. Uh, we opened up a bar, Intermezzo, that serves craft cocktails. Uh, Brandon's actually been there a couple times. It's very, very close to the stadium, by the way. If anyone ever feels like coming in for a bite or to say hello to me before a Mariners game, I'd love to best. chat. It is the mm-hmm. best, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where it's not uh, – it's not – going to be a sports bar atmosphere you're certainly not going to feel like oh i'm super fired up to uh go watch the mariners now but it's it's somewhere where if you're going on a date and you want to go to grab a bite to eat before the game it's a really nice low-key spot to go do that um and then obviously we have our place in bellevue and the reason i'm telling you guys all of this is because i wanted to say a little something about the nature of sports i guess (laughs) here we go um uh, the, so the general, the manager, the general manager, uh, is it called, it's called the general manager in football, right? The guy who makes it, it's like baseball. Yes. The exact okay. same. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So his name is John <clears throat> Schneider mm-hmm. and he's been coming into our, um, uh, Bellevue restaurant quite frequently lately. I've gotten to know the guy pretty well. And, uh, one of the things I ask him and I, I, I went up to him, uh, Saturday night he came in today's Monday. So two nights ago, um, he came in and I, I said to him, hey, can I ask you a question? And I, I think he started to like pull back a little bit because he goes, oh, God, this guy's going to like ask me about like why aren't they signing 
whatever player. I don't know. I don't even know who's free agents in football. But I wanted to ask him, and it's something that's always rankled me about the perception of how people on the outside view your job. And I always read my reviews and the reviews that come in on all three of the restaurants, whether it's on Yelp or Open Table or anything like that. And uh, I told him, like, this is something that really bothers me. And it really makes me sick to my stomach when, when you know, someone kind of uh, has a, a poor experience and they decide to put it all over the airwaves. And it really feels like an affront to my livelihood. And it feels like, a, you know, just kind of a slap in the face to all the hard work that I do. And I, I asked him, like, I know this is something that you deal with probably a lot in the media, times a million, you know, because you've got people on forums and blogs and sports writers all saying, oh, this guy did a crappy job here, whatever, he did this there. And, and I just asked him, like, you know, how do you sort of compartmentalize all these negative feelings that people have towards you and still try and do the best job that you can for them because ultimately that's your constituency mm -hmm. just like the people who write crappy reviews about me are still my customers and you know he had a really candid response and it just made me think for a minute like maybe we shouldn't be so hard on these guys because they work such insane hours and they they they, they have so much more information than what we have as you know kind of a layman and they're working with uh, such talented people all the time that and, and they're not doing anything in a fly by night nature, just like I'm not doing anything in a fly by night nature at my restaurant. So when you see, oh, well, they shouldn't be doing this with that menu item or they shouldn't be doing that with that football player. There's a lot more that goes into it than I think what meets the superficial eye. And I just want to say, I guess, from a fandom perspective, it's actually brought me kind of closer to like understanding the trials and tribulations of these general managers who have so much stress put on on them on a day-to-day -day basis and really it's not easy and criti criticism is so easy to do and and for these guys to count and do it and i know they get compensated well but for them to do it and put a smile on their face and be like jerry depoto who is constantly and almost overwhelmingly optimistic it's it's something that's kind of laudatory and something i feel really proud of them for doing so that's just my little my little aside for the day that was that was fantastic for a lot of reasons because first of all you got a nice little little uh little point there about the um the prestige of your restaurants and and the uh the quality of them that the general manager of the the seattle the seattle seahawks uh would would want to come in so well done uh nice backhanded there thank you uh, <laughs> but then also uh also just a great job of explaining you know what we do here and that all of this has to be taken with a grain of salt you and i know jack shit about anything however uh it is because we are fans and because we care uh that we do this and we you know we take an hour out of our weeks to talk exactly. about this um, and i don't want to i don't want to get the message mixed i think we should always strive to be critical and and do our best to really delve deeper and try and understand why they're doing things and if they're doing things correct because i don't truly believe that <laughs> oh this guy just knows best we should just let him do his thing i think we should always be looking at each other but I mean, maybe a little more compassion and understanding yeah. would go and serve a long way. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so so understanding these dudes as, as humans who make decisions and, you know, a collection of humans that um, that have to come together and, and produce. And, you know, they, with football, it's so tough because his results are crystallized over 16 three-hour events. 
Um, and that's right. Talk about a small sample size. Right. Exactly. That's, that's what people know. And that's what people base their opinion off of. Whereas like, you know, you, it's one Yelp review is one of, you know, thousands that were under thousands. your purview, mm-hmm. under your purview in a given week or something like that. So, um, yeah, it is interesting how, how just kind of different those jobs are, but at the end of the day, it's a human doing a job to their best ability. So, uh, yeah, good, good context there, but also make sure that you stop by any of the restaurants. Um, I, I still need to check the, the two actual full service ones off my bucket list, mm-hmm. uh, but Intermezzo is, is fabulous. And, uh, I would highly, highly recommend anyone walking down yep. to Safeco stop by there. Uh, I know you got the triangle tavern across the, across the way from you there, but, um, it just, it doesn't, Sli- really, yeah, I would say the compare. triangle tavern is slightly more upscale than us. Do both, so. do both get a nice, nice, nice upscale drink. And then, uh, and then get a little rowdy down there. But, you uh, know, I went to another side. I went to Triangle Tavern one time, and I'm not trying to, <laughs> to bag them. Here. But, but you really, did find a really, rat in your french fries. Well, I drank <laughs> I drank a beer, and, man, the taste of bleach in that beer was so strong. I appreciate them for sterilizing their, their, their cup so strongly, but maybe dial the bleach back just a touch. Yeah, and that's that's always been uh, been Intermezzo's secret, is that you don't sterilize anything at the restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> Give it a little um, bit of flavor, like a like a what are what are those things called? Cast iron skillets. Yeah, yeah, it's like yeah, all those, those all those old cheeses that get aged, like just absorb all the bacteria in the room. That's that's how that's how you, it's how you do it. Um, all right, let's let's talk about how some other teams are doing it around the league. Uh, we're gonna give you a couple teams to watch. We're not gonna go too deep into this, uh, but we do want to show you just. This is all. This is all a, a selfish thing to show you that we do care about other teams and that we right. we, we know we know a little bit about other stuff too. Um, your your team was an interesting one, and it is when you first raised it, I was a little skeptical, but I I really like this one. You picked the who? Minnesota Twins. Hell yeah, Nelson Cruz's so, new new home. What's that? Nelson Cruz's new home. Yeah, that's the first point I want to mention. If anyone has like a really like strong fondness for Nelson Cruz, you can watch him in a twins uniform this year and i don't think they're gonna be too bad of a team first off they play in a division that's really 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 bad even the team that's like the presumptive front runner uh the cleveland indians took a step back this year because they knew they were so far ahead of everybody that they could trim some payroll and still win the division so that that's what kind of that's what kind of division they're working with. If the Mariners had been in that division last year, they would have won it going away. Hmm. Uh, and I I don't think I'm being hyperbolic when I say that. Um, but the Twins have made some interesting moves this year, and I think they're actually seeing a, a window of opportunity. They have a guy named Williams Astadio. I'm that so I really glad you talked everyone. about him. Yeah, I really he want like, everyone to like, look this guy up. He looks like Grimace. Oh yeah, he he's he's totally got just like a Bartolo Colon body working, but he's a really amazing player, and he's amazing for a couple reasons. Obviously, one, he produces, and in producing in that body is 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 an exceptional feat in its own right. But in the era of the three true outcomes, you either strike out, you either walk, or you either hit a home run. This guy does none of those three things. He doesn't hit home runs, he doesn't walk, <laughs> and he doesn't strike out. And his batting profile is just so intriguing. He always puts the ball in play. He's always on the base pass. He just has a really exciting nature about his game. So that's a guy that I want everyone to watch if they care at all, even one iota about the Minnesota Twins. I think that's a guy that's going to be really fun to watch. Astudio is uh, 5'9", 225 pounds, um, which is just... He's a, he's a portly boy. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he's he's a fire hydrant of a man. Um, he, uh, yeah, he's he's beautiful. The, the other guy that's been a, a kind of synonymous with 
with twinsdom is uh byron buxton who was a yeah. first round draft pick i think in 2015 or 16 um who has not quite panned out but is absolutely destroying spring training right now um all like his his batting average in the 400s and just just raking um so you know what you know what i think about byron buxton i want this guy to succeed because in a way i feel like him and jp crawford are two of the same interesting right you know they're guys who have been top five prospects basically their whole life everybody's been saying these guys are going to be major league all-stars no doubt about it and they've both come up to the majors and they've both struggled mightily uh buxton has been helped because no matter where he plays he's uh, an uh, amazing defender but he can't hit the ball and this spring you've started to see him come around on that and I just like those kinds of stories because it shows that, you know, we're so impatient as baseball fans. Two years of struggling for this guy. He's only 23 years old. It's not like his career is over. And for him to maybe just be a little bit more of a late bloomer would be a really nice story. And I think something that uh, J.P. Crawford could kind of follow in that mold as well. Yeah, Buxton is exciting and has been in the absence of a, of a bat. So adding adding just a little bit of pop to him. Uh, would make him one of the more inter- interesting players in the in the game, which is great for Minnesota because that's not necessarily appointment viewing or, or a market that's going to get a lot of attention on its own. Um, but uh, but yeah, so that's that's a good call. They, they you know it's it's a smart on them to understand their their opportunity in the AL Central, uh, kind of similarly to how the Mariners op- understand they don't have much of an opportunity right now um, and are punting a little bit down the future down the road. Um, so just kind of the the antithesis of what the M's are doing, but. I'm going to talk about the NL Central was what Yeah, my, this is a great division. My uh my most interesting part of baseball, I I um I'm so such a good decision maker that instead of picking one team, I picked five. Um <laughs> so I found this, I mean, I I found. I kind of stumbled into Pacoda, which is for people in baseball who are much smarter than me, uh a a uh, kind of generator for outcomes in a season and so there it kind of amalgamates all these most likely outcomes for records and that, you just did the getting smarter for this week we don't even need to do the get smarter you just did it <laughs> yeah well, no seriously that's perfect that's well, a great one to use because i use the word amalgamates that's uh <laughs> <laughs> but pakoda pakoda i mean you can see that mlb teams are using pakoda now the cubs took it as a slight they hung it on their board in spring training did you see that they were projected to be 80 and 82 and fourth place in the division, according to Pakoda, and Joe Madden slapped that on the clubhouse door, so every player had to go see it. There's uh, so in the Cubs locker room, it's they have Pakoda hung on a door, and they it makes them angry. Uh, in the Tampa Bay Rays locker room, they have uh, Depoto hung up on it <laughs> on a door, and it makes them angry. Uh, but anyways, so the Pakoda division uh, projections had the NL Central as having the smallest range from first place to fifth place in terms of win projections. Uh, they had the uh, the division leading team, the Milwaukee Brewers, there with 88 wins, and then the last place Cubs with 79 wins. Just for context, uh, the average range from in all the other divisions was 28 wins. So the right. the so NL the Central, is tiny. yeah, the NL Central is is just an absolute. I mean, every every team is about the same in terms of. Um, projected quality which is kind of exciting so just to run through those teams pretty quickly uh the reds did kind of a very almost zarenziking yeah uh, i was gonna say that one flew in the face of like 
a lot of analytical guys were really not happy with them, but you know, they're happy with how they, they saw it. So, so good for them. Yeah. So they were a team last year that, that kind of, uh, at times underperformed and at times was very productive. So just very up and down. Um, and rather than saying we are the, we are not competitive, we're going to take that from what we saw last year. They said, let's go push this and try and be a 500 team or better. They go out and get Sonny Gray, Yasiel Puig, uh, and Matt Kemp um, to inject a little bit of, of veteran talent onto that team. So on top of what they had last year, which some would consider pretty promising, uh, to add those three guys is interesting. The Cubs, who were picked last, three straight ALCSs before 95 wins last year, still a super talented roster despite Bryce Harper choosing to uh, to go to Philly. Also, did you know that Bryce Harper has a dog named Wrigley? Yeah, that I know that because that was all the rage last year when uh, they were spe- they were starting the early speculation on where Bryce Harper was going to end up going. <laughs> That's pretty awkward. Uh, if uh, he's walking his dog around Philadelphia, I think he's going to rename the dog Citizens Bank Park. Now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Doesn't have the quite same the same ring to it. <laughs> the but. dog's the dog's name is now Cheesesteak somehow. Um, <laughs> the Milwaukee Brewers, uh, analytics darlings, they they won the division last year. Uh, they add Yasmani Grandal, who is number one in framing runs from last season. So we talked last last week about the importance of pitch framing. They add Grandal, who's uh, amazing at that. So yeah, very Brewers move mm, right there. Exactly. Very on brand. The, uh, and the St. Louis Cardinals, who it was a season from hell last year from them from an injury perspective, yet they still won 88 games, and then they will go out and add Paul Goldschmidt and Andrew Miller uh, on top of a very talented roster. Might see Tyler O'Neill pop up there this year. And then you've got the Pirates, who, you know, one team kind of has to lose. And it was interesting that the Pakota projections uh, put it as the Cubs that would come out last when the Pirates did the least this offseason to get any better and probably were the least talented roster to begin with. So a very least talented in that division, but still I would say a very talented team overall. Yes. Yeah. That's an 80 win team and and could push for a division division championship and a couple other different spots. So um, yeah, that that's going to be an interesting one. And, and uh, one that is obviously probably the least, um, the least talked about division, I would say in baseball, maybe other than the AL central, uh, but, but has five of maybe the, 10 or 12 best teams in, the, in could, baseball. Could you imagine Could you imagine if the Astros were still in the NL Central and they had the six teams? Oh, my God. What a d- bloodbath that division would be. Well, make. you talk about things that would have changed history for the Mariners. The Astros still being the Central would, would have done lots. Remember when the Astros came over and they were bad and everyone was like, oh, yay, like we get another bad team to beat up on. Yeah, we get seven free wins. like the greatest team ever. <laughs> yeah. Now they've just been whooping our ass routinely <laughs> for three years. Uh, yeah, I do remember that. That was a short-sighted uh, vision of on our. On it our, it on our sure part. was, sure was. See, we're we're just used to teams that are bad staying bad forever, uh, right. but turns out that's not actually the case sometimes. Uh, so yeah, that's that's six teams to watch out for this year. Uh, let's let's get a little bit smarter here. We'll 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 make this a quick conversation, um, but. I wanted to bring this up as our as our segment this week. Not you know we've done two kind of lessons. This one is something that I've been try- I've been kind of sensing a little bit more is a certain prickliness amongst baseball players to the analytics movement. And I sensed mm-hmm. it when we were talking to Marco Gonzalez, and he was saying that he's not a fan of 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 this this movement, and it's kind of made baseball a little bit worse. Uh, and then there was a quote this week from Ian Kinsler related to the point we had earlier about uh, baseball players getting older baseball players getting kind of shoved out and Ian Kinsler 
He said, they're trying real hard to turn baseball into a card game, and it's not a card game. I mean, like poker or blackjack or something, like statistics that are going to try to figure out when guys are going to potentially reach their peak and all that. But really, no one knows. Uh, this this quote rubbed you the wrong way. I have my feelings about it. But uh, what about this is, is, uh, is interesting to you? Yeah, I mean, the thing that's the most interesting to me about this is that he used the blackjack metaphor because – that couldn't be more appropriate <laughs> to use against him if he tried and he tried to use it in his favor. And I texted you something to this extent. Yeah. I mean, every guy is going to be different and every outcome is going to be different and you can't exactly predict what card the dealer is going to flip over. But if you're sitting on a 19 and the dealer has a six and you know, everyone at the table is saying, please just stay and you hit the card and a two comes up, people aren't going to be like, Oh, that guy's really smart for doing that. They're going to be like, that dumbass got lucky. So, and 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 I hate to be so callous about using baseball players like they're cards in a deck, but essentially when you're working with that much volume mm-hmm. and you have that much data, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of players who have played in the major leagues over the course of the, uh, the history of baseball. You have data and you see trends happen and you use those trends to the best of your ability. And so him to use the card, uh, metaphor where you know you have a lot of data on which cards to hit on which cards to stay on it's very similar in baseball you have data and of course some guys are going to prove to be the exception to the rule but you don't make your money as a gm betting on the exceptions you make your money finding patterns and using and capitalizing on those patterns when nobody else is yeah he was right twice he was right about the blackjack part of it in the sense that you're you're using information that you do have to inform decisions about a black box about what's going to happen after that um, mm-hmm. But then he was right again when he said, but really no one knows. That part of it is is so central to this. Ian Kinsler is absolutely right that it's not fair uh, from an individual perspective to apply this like baseline logic about old players are not valuable. Um, however, because you don't know, uh, you really don't know what's what how age is going to affect certain players. You have to use that data that is out there to inform that decision. So, right, uh, I I completely get where he's coming from. It affects his livelihood. It affects the guys that he he grew up playing with. Um, but this cold callousness of sports is not unique to baseball. It just might be the most unkind in baseball. Right, and it's it, he's it, on an individual basis. He's right. No, very, very rarely are you going to uh, get a guy um, exactly right. You're going to say, this guy's going to start declining at 36, and boom, he starts declining at 36. But over the course of like a law of averages, you might say, this guy's going to decline at 37, and he declines at 35, or this guy's going to decline at 35, and he declines at 37. You're going to have – you're going to be right in the ballpark. It's like that uh, thought experiment where they ask 100 random people – to estimate how many ping pong balls can fit in a Boeing 747. And a lot of people are a little bit over and a lot of people are a little bit under, but on the whole, they make a pretty accurate assessment. And that's what GMs are trying to do is just on the whole, make an accurate assessment and not. And I think what he thinks is, Oh, they're just basing. They're just talking about me. No, they're not. They're talking about every player and trying to do right by a organization that flips through hundreds of players in the matter of years. Yeah, sorry, I'm just drawing a uh, airplane and putting ping pong balls in it right now. Uh, <laughs> no, but yeah, you're absolutely right, and and you know I think we're we're kind of in lockstep about this, so we won't go on too for too much more. Yeah. But um, it was interesting 
seeing this pop up and, and, and having it kind of reverberate based off of what I heard from Marco Gonzalez, who is feeling it for a different reason than Kinsler is. Kinsler's talking about age. Marco's probably coming at it for more of a, a coaching um, mm-hmm. and, and a philosophical uh, approach to how pitching works. And actually, now that I think about it, his response to it was about the, the usage of starting pitchers and how they're getting used less. Um, and, and pitching, right. Pitching but let less me innings. ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't these guys, maybe I just have a different mentality, but why wouldn't these guys want all the access to all the information that could potentially make them better? I just don't understand that, uh, that line of thinking of having to do things the old way. You can still do things the old way, but why wouldn't you at least want to see what's going on with like things that could potentially help you or, or elongate your career or add longevity or add an extra mile per hour to your fastball? Can I ask you a question? Yes. If if you and CJ uh, were approached by a restaurant consultant who came in there and told you that the way that you have been doing this and the way you've seen certain things done in your restaurant for your entire lives that you've deemed relatively successful was actually not efficient and costing you somehow, would you take a little bit of offense to that? Yeah, I mean that's a fair point. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely so, a fair point. So that's yeah. you know that and that's you know I I you could have easily said uh, no I w- I would be embrace that but um, that bristle to you're not you're doing something that that is not uh, the most optimized thing when you believe it is 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 tough whether you're in a, a pitcher or uh, or anybody else but um, but yeah that's I mean that's just kind of the, the 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 way this thing works and it'll take a while but baseball is just going to look different in a few years and, um, and well, it already does, but, but, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, this, this constant war between players and, and the decision makers, uh, is interesting to monitor. Let's, uh, let's step back for just a second here. Uh, we don't have too much time, but can you just set us right on what we have here with Julio Rodriguez? Because it is both exciting and mysterious at the same time to have a guy who um, hasn't played in the minor leagues yet, uh, but offers as much promise at the age he is. So where is Julio Rodriguez now? Uh, what type of player is he looking like? Where will he end up? Where will he start this year in the minor leagues? And then what's kind of his uh, his timeline to eventually show up in a, in a Mariners uniform? So, I mean, if anyone's watched any sort of spring training this year, uh, this one of the big storylines has been Julio Rodriguez and his ability to hit major league pitching. He's gotten a couple hits off of major league pitching at 18 years old, which is unbelievably incredible. It's a fantastic achievement, but by no means does that mean, oh, next year he's going to go be in the MLB. It's just, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. I'm barring some absolutely unforeseen circumstance where he OPS is over a thousand every step of the way. Then maybe I could see it, but or these like- guys are going to hit. Or like he wakes up with Mike Trout's ability somehow. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's entirely possible. If he wakes up with my abilities, then he might he might be in trouble. Yeah. But um, he's going to probably start the season at low A, and he's going to have to come over. And, you know, it's not just the thing. This goes right back to the whole these are human beings argument or conversation we were having. He's not just going to have to adjust to a new baseball. He's going to have to adjust to a new lifestyle. He's going to have to learn English. He's going to have to understand how things work in you know in a lifestyle that he's never been accustomed to and that's not an insignificant hurdle i know we always like to think just about the baseball but he has to adjust to life as an american now and or not an american but in america i guess i should say and you know it's going to be hard but he if anyone could do it he seems like he's the type of guy who's going to do it he's going to move they're going to try and move him quickly from everything i've seen from andy mckay um they're going to move him start him in low a but 
potentially by the end of the year, if everything goes right, he might get a call up to double A at the end of the season. So by the time 2022 or 2020 starts, excuse me, he should start the season in double A, maybe make a push for triple A. And then 2021, he should be competing for a roster spot. And that's a really aggressive timeline. But that's a timeline that I think they think is realistic. I think a more realistic timeline myself is probably 2022, mm-hmm. four year, or three years from now. And he'll be a 21-year-old, which is more a mature body, a mature person, a mature mind, and more uh, able to handle the rigor of being an everyday baseball player. So maybe a September call-up in 2021. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> a September call-up in 2021, I think, would be a really good uh, – trajectory for him yeah that sounds about right and that's that's similar to to jared kelenic obviously different in that kelenic has less adjusting to do in terms of of baseball culture in america um than than julio rodriguez does but um guys who i mean the uh the story has been written about their their kind of brotherhood at this at this point they they both probably understand that they are uh the future cornerstones of this team um and have really taken to each other so that's that's a cool thing and something to keep an eye on it could be a fun little buddy comedy uh, circa like Boban and Tobias Harris in a few years. <laughs> I would love to see it. <laughs> uh, so yeah, keep that in mind. But uh, let's let's move on to our ex-Mariner of the Week. Um, uh, do you have any, any ones off the top of your head for this one? I'm going to have to think about this one for a second. So I, um, I the other night, went on a, a – well, last night, went on a, a big binge looking – Googling uh, – uh, Mariner, ex-Mariners, just so I went through Gil Mesh, Carlos Guillen, uh, Rich Amaral. I just, I went nuts. <laughs> like, it just, mm-hmm. just picked 10 random ones. Um, I found one that I was pretty interesting, pretty, pretty interested on, and this will be my uh, announcement that next week I will have two truths and a lie for ex-Mariners of the week, what they're up oh, to. Oh, okay. Like, the two of these guys were on the Mariners and one of them wasn't type of thing? No. <laughs> two two of these scenarios are true. One of them is not. Oh, okay. Um, I'm looking forward to it. So like Carlos Guillen, this is not true, but Carlos Guillen owns a bowling alley in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, that would be one of the scenarios I present alongs- <laughs> alongside, you know, certain things. But it's conceivable because he played in Detroit and maybe he likes bowling. But anyways, a real one here for this one. Uh, Raul Abanez is the special assistant to the general manager Yes, you heard me right. If you're an office for, fan, for which team? For the LA Dodgers. Really? The problem is that the Dodgers that. don't have a general manager. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Raul Labanez is the special assistant to no one. Uh, He's like that guy in um, Office Space who has to sit in the basement because they don't know how to fire him. Where's my stapler? Yeah. Yeah. That <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that was pretty funny to me. Is that Raul Labanez, uh Good for him, and that, that's a cool title, and he's moving up in the front office. Um, <laughs> but a little concerning that you report to no one, uh, <laughs> but you are still a special assistant. Huh. I like that one. Yeah. Can I do two, and they're kind of tied together? They're Please. Just one, basically, one. Are they actually tied together? Like Jose Lopez is tied together with Unieski Betancourt somewhere. Um, not quite that, but they are both in Japan right now. Okay. Uh, oh, Ken yes. Griffey Jr. and Ricky Henderson. Mm-hmm. Yep. Both of them are in Japan. Uh, Ricky's going to be representing the A's and Ken Griffey's going to be representing the Mariners. And I'm just so excited to get the season started. It starts on Wednesday, two days from now. And I can't think of two better guys to usher in baseball than those two guys. <laughs> yeah. Two guys that would have been freaking awesome if they played right now. 
um, from an excitement standpoint, uh, just just how easy it is to watch you know anybody in baseball now. Um, those two guys probably have been one and two in terms of people tuning into them. Uh, Ricky Henderson basically being like Billy Hamilton, but with, like with an offensive but, skill set. Yeah, but actually good at good at hitting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And then and then Griffey being, of course, the uh, you know just the uh, the the lightning rod that he was back in his day. Uh, that's a good one. My future ex Mariner of the week would be Ichiro, who uh, will be starting uh, mm-hmm. in uh, in the game on on tomorrow. Right? Is that tomorrow morning? Yep. Uh, Wednesday. Wednesday morning. Okay. Yeah. yeah Wednesday yeah. morning. Well, yeah. I guess I don't know. What would you consider it tomorrow night or Wednesday morning? I don't know. I have no idea. That, yeah. that's, <laughs> it's it's happening okay. shortly. I'll wake up yeah. at some point and there the M's will have played a game um, in Japan. But yeah, so Ichiro will be starting. Uh, he had a, a nice little moment today where he uh, he caught a ball in right field and the the runner did not advance from from second to third because he was so afraid of Ichiro's arm, which made it. Yeah, be- Ichiro still has a little bit of a gun. I mean, he can still throw it, not like he used to, but still, he's not he's average. Yeah, yeah, and it's it was it was a it was a paying homage. He should have tested it though. I think I think we could we could have gone for a little little dramatics. The guy goes for it and then gets called out. Um, yeah, that would have been nice. Yeah, but uh, but instead we just get that nice little homage. Let's do uh, let's do a little trivia. How about it? You ready? All right, let's do it. I'm ready. <clears throat> Ichiro Suzuki was the 2001 AL MVP, uh, which is kind of nuts, with six, uh-huh. 69 RBIs in his his first uh, his first season as a as a professional baseball player. A nice number okay. of RBIs. Since 1951, only one other position player who won an MVP in the AL had less RBI in a season. Who? Then Ichiro? Yeah. Only okay. I'm gonna have to think about this. Since what year? Nineteen fifty one. Okay. Um, can you give me a decade to work with here? Uh yeah, he played he played in the nineties and two thousands. Nineties and two thousands. Okay, so it's gotta be like a speed guy. Sure does. Yeah. Uh, you've stumped JD. I'm going to go ahead and make a guess, but it's not going to be right. Who is it? Kenny Lofton? Oh, not a bad guess. Kenny Kenny was good. You actually yeah. said his name two minutes ago. It was Ricky Henderson. Oh, really? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> yeah, Ricky Henderson won the MVP in 1990 with 61 RBIs. <clears throat> That's not a lot of RBIs. But that goes to show you, and I guess – MVP voting was like more archaic back then and they didn't use analytics at all, but it does go to show you RBIs are kind of a meaningless stat. Well, I don't want to say meaningless, but they don't have the weight behind them that I think a lot of people still believe they do. Yeah, right. For sure. But, but yeah, it is interesting that honestly, like someone getting the MVP with 61 RBIs seems almost more of a 2019 uh, yeah. hypothetical than it does in 1990, but Ricky, Anderson right. So was, he must've had to have been really, really, really good. Yeah. To he do was, that. he was, uh, filling it out in other ways. Uh, yeah. Great. I've, I think I've stumped you twice, right? Yeah. You've stumped, I'm over two, but you know what? If I go, if I get a hit next time, I'm one for three and I'm an all-star. <laughs> Damn. Well done. That's how that works. Well done. Uh, who's your yellow hydro of the week? I want to go with, well, I was going to use Ichiro, but I guess we already used Ichiro. So I am going to go with, huh, you know who I want to go with? Oh, I know who I want to go with is Mitch Hanniger. Mm. And it's because nothing that Mitch Hanniger did, but a a new perspective I got 
to appreciate the greatness of Mitch Haniger. I don't know if you've seen this. The umpire cam. The umpire cam, the thing they're doing in Japan. Why don't they do this in the MLB? Are you kidding me? That is the coolest innovation I've seen in baseball in so many years. It's amazing, and I just can't wait for for the umpire cam where like there's a horrible call on ball, yeah. balls and strikes and they see that the umpire's camera was just facing like straight up or something <laughs> like he just wasn't even looking at it uh, but isn't that such group. a cool innovation oh it's awesome it's awesome it's yeah. also like kind of an accountability measure for the umpire i guess but right. uh but yeah the uh the umpire cam was gonna be my yellow hydro of the week uh but oh. you you picked hanniger because he hit two dingers uh while the camera was on him um, right. so that was pretty cool. I've got a couple. There's the ironic one, which is Omar Narvaez, um, who was not the true Yellow Hydra of the week, but just a funny little tidbit I saw in a Ryan Divish story uh, that they were worried that uh, Yusei Kikuchi had an injury. But oh yeah, <laughs> do you see this? I, I read this, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it was it was like this nice little thing that that was a little troubling for what we were talking about with Narvaez last week. They said he simply. He, no injury for Kikuchi. He simply couldn't see Omar Narvaez's signs and wound up gesticulating in a manner that drew the attention of the training staff. <laughs> so, yeah, because honestly, it's so hard for them because it's not like either of them speak great English. And I know Narvaez doesn't speak Japanese and I know <laughs> Kikuchi doesn't speak Spanish. So what language are they talking in when they have to figure these things out? <laughs> That's very true. They need two different translators in there. Um, it's like a UN meeting every time that they're at the, yeah. at the, at the mound. Um, they should invest in some of those like little headwear things, you know, where it translates automatically like they use in the UN. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, and then, yeah, so I had the umpire cam was my, my real one, uh, or Domingo Santana who, who ended up yeah, with a fantastic spring. I hope it translates. I really like his game. Uh, and then my, I think my, my official one goes to Wade LeBlanc. You're not on Instagram, but he took over the Mariners uh, Instagram account and was absolutely hilarious uh, throughout the game yesterday. Uh, there was one part where he just, I don't know, it must be some, because Wade LeBlanc used to pitch in Japan. Uh, so he knows, yeah. little, he knows a little Japanese. So he said something to Ichiro from down the, down the dugout. Uh, and it just caused Ichiro to say this ridiculous thing out of nowhere and just scream it. Wade LeBlanc's kind of like a superstar over there. I saw a video of him at the airport, and people were not as interested in him as Ichiro and, and uh, Kikuchi, but but he had he had quite a quite a few fans there as well. Wade LeBlanc is awesome, and I, I would yeah, love him for, for him to make like an All Star team or something like that because he uh, he's just kind of this this guy who's been through everything in baseball and uh, just you know kind of this nice little career resurgence for him. <clears throat> All right, that's uh, that's it for us, man. This was good. It was right. I I had a great time today. It was a much more restful and laid back sort of day, and I I thought that was a really nicely done one. Thank you, thank you, man. Should we just keep this going? We just we just congratulate each other for the next ten minutes while people listen. <laughs> if they want to listen to it, yeah, the raw we, and real uncut. We could do this thing where we start having like our like. Um, Heading out awards at the end of it. What was your favorite moment, type thing? But yeah, <laughs> like t- like in uh, T ball, most when I got the most <laughs> every year. Yeah. That just meant I was the worst by far. At the <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. The the guy who did the least between last season and this season to get any better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Uh, good All stuff. Right. Uh, next time we talk, we will have actual games to talk about. Oh, how uh, exciting! Yeah, that's awesome, man. Enjoy, enjoy this. The sun in Seattle. I heard seagulls while you were doing this. It was sounded absolutely majestic. Uh, enjoy it. All right. Take care. Yeah, you too, man.